2: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Tonight, the House committee investigating the January 6 attack on the U.S. Capitol will start sharing its findings in the first of six public hearings. Dozens of people here in California have been criminally charged for their alleged involvement in the insurrection. To learn more about this, I spoke with Brian Levin. He's director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at Cal State San Bernardino, which has been tracking
3: the cases. It's really interesting, you know, the- There are at least 50 out of over 700 uh, arrestees uh, in the insurrection from January 6th. And what I find so fascinating is that it's from both uh, Northern California, there are uh, about a half a dozen from extreme Northern California, when I say extreme, I mean geographically, Uh, but also Southern California as well.
2: Yeah, and I know that the FBI has reported a significant uptick in violent domestic extremism, not just here in California, but across the country since the summer of 2020. What does domestic violent extremism look like here in California?
3: Great question. And it's kind of a little bit of a microcosm of what's going on in the rest of the country, but with the usual California twist. Uh, Let let me try and go back a little ways and and, and get a little macro view here. There's something that's been kicking around for some time, uh, but it's been hypercharged at various times over recent decades, and that's something called the insurrectionist doctrine of the Second Amendment. If people feel that they're aggrieved with what they personally believe as conduct from a tyrannical government, they have the right to armed rebellion. And this has taken form in a variety of different ways. Uh, but what I think the COVID pandemic did, because that grievance, or at least the impact of COVID, was so broad that it allowed this umbrella to really embrace a variety of single-issue grievance folks. And And that's what's so scary, this kind of a complicit working of... Uh, social media, uh, along with politics, has really ensnared uh, people who, otherwise, I think situationally, maybe if there wasn't a pandemic, in you know, down this rabbit hole, and it's really expanded. And I think California, as I said, is a microcosm of this.
2: Given that there are constitutional protections for some of the behavior that might be considered ideologically extreme, but isn't actually a crime. Can you speak to the challenges authorities face in investigating and prosecuting domestic extremism?
3: When we have people who are inciting violence and and immediate criminality, that's something different. Or threatening people like elected officials. And there's a debate right now uh, about whether we should expand uh, terrorism laws to include domestic terrorism. Uh, our center, the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism, along with our partners at the Leadership Conference in Washington, D.C., are opposed to this because uh, we believe that uh, under uh, a dangerous administration, a new domestic terrorism law could be abused. I think what we need to do is enforce the law um, and not create a risk of turning uh, federal law on people like BLM. Uh, supporters, uh, conservatives of goodwill, uh, or, or that amorphous boogeyman of Antifa. That was
2: Brian Levin, director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at Cal State San Bernardino. Now let's go to far northern California, Shasta County, where this week, several candidates running for office with ties to far-right political activists were soundly defeated in the primary election. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi explains.
1: Earlier this year, a far-right-wing militia helped lead the effort to recall Shasta County Supervisor Leonard Modi. Much of their anger was about pandemic restrictions and what they described as a loss of personal freedom. The recall was successful, and out of it came an organization called the Liberty Committee, which backed six candidates in Tuesday's election. Journalist Donnie Chamberlain, a longtime Shasta County resident, who's covered recent extremist activity in the county for her website, anewscafe.com, says the goal was to consolidate power among the far-right movement.
2: They call themselves anti-establishment, anti-government, And the funny part about being anti-government is they're all running for government positions.
1: The Liberty Committee-backed candidates were vying for positions on the Board of Supervisors as sheriff, district attorney, school superintendent, and county clerk. But all lost or are losing, as at least one supervisor's race is likely headed to a November runoff. Chamberlain says she figured the election results might be a clean sweep one way or the other whether it was the far-right movement or more moderate-leaning Republican candidates. But the fallout is what concerns her.
2: I'm concerned that if these people don't win, that they're going to think the election was stolen. Sound familiar? That it was rigged. And, um, you know, their M.O. is to use intimidation and threats and force to get their way.
1: Chamberlain says she was present when a small group of election observers with ties to the Liberty Committee-backed candidates confronted County Clerk and Registrar of Voters, Kathy Darling-Allen, on election night. For the California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi.
0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there.
4: I'm Randa Deveta from ThruLine.
2: Four Marines are believed to be dead after a military aircraft crashed yesterday afternoon in Imperial County, just north of the U.S.-Mexico border. Military officials have confirmed that five people were on board at the time, but would not go into detail about the condition of the Marines. According to the LA Times, four of the military members were killed. It's unclear if the fifth person is still missing. The Osprey aircraft was operated by the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing based in San Diego. It crashed in the community of Glamis near the Salton Sea. There's still no word on what caused the crash. This is the second military aircraft crash in Southern California in the last week. The town of Susanville, about 200 miles northeast of Sacramento in Lassen County, is a former mining and logging area best known for the two state prisons it's home to. The facilities are a driving force for Susanville's economy, even with a third of the town's population being incarcerated. But that could soon change. Governor Newsom has ordered Susanville's California Correctional Center to close by the end of this month. And the city has taken legal action to try to stop it from happening. Reporter Piper French visited Susanville to take a closer look at what the closure could mean for the town's future. She reported the piece for the digital magazine Bolts and spoke with the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi about her findings.
1: How impactful are these two facilities to what Susanville is and sort of what Susanville has become?
4: I think that they have affected the town immensely in a lot of different ways, both financial and social. You know, the presence of the prisons there has meant that more people in the town have become workers at the prison, whether guards or, you know, other sorts of workers. But it also has meant that People from around the state have moved to Susanville to be prison guards there. So it's changed the makeup of the town. It has certainly had a stratifying impact on local wages. The folks who work at the prison often make very decent salaries, especially for that area of the state, where costs of living are much lower than, you know, L.A. or San Francisco. But, you know, when I was there, I noticed that most of the other businesses are sort of like chain restaurants that you might see anywhere in the state or in the country, so like Denny's, Starbucks. And, I'm, you know, as far as I know, the folks there are making minimum wage or thereabouts, so there's, a, there's quite a bit of income stratification as well.
1: That's interesting that you mentioned that a lot of them are chains and chain retailers, I imagine, as well. Once the prisons were built and then eventually remodeled, did that take away kind of the small businesses from the town center?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because the town is basically all clustered around one street that goes right through it. And so when you go from one end of the street to the other, as I mentioned in the piece, you can sort of see how the town developed. One end is a historic uptown. It has these really beautiful buildings, but almost all of them are closed. And then as you keep going, it's a lot of motels and gas stations. And, you know, there's a lot of motels in the town because they cater to the families of people incarcerated there. And then at the other end of the town, it's just all chain stores. And from my reporting, most of those came to town around when the second prison was being constructed in the 90s or a little bit afterwards.
1: You mentioned local residents. What's your sense of what they're thinking now with the closure possibly scheduled here? And also, what do they imagine as like their community moving forward?
4: You know, I spoke to people who don't work at the prison, who, you know, really don't think that the prison has had a good impact on their town for some of the reasons I mentioned around businesses closing and income stratification. And I spoke to people who feel very pessimistic about what will happen to Susanville when this prison closes down. And that's very understandable because, you know, to them, the state hasn't really articulated a plan beyond just closing the prison and saying that people can get transfers to other prisons that might not be, you know, anywhere near where they live. But I think there is some optimism too. Quincy McCourt, who is one of the city council members, was someone I spoke to a lot for this piece and he really cares about his his city and he really wants it to be a better place than it is right now. And I think that he's taking this closure as an opportunity to think about what Susanville could be.
2: That's the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi speaking with LA based independent journalist Piper French. You can find Piper's story on the future of Susanville at boltsmag.org. By a three to two vote, the Sacramento County Board of Supervisors has approved a tiny home community for unhoused people in South Sacramento. As Cap Radio's Chris Nichols reports, the stakes for the project are high.
0: After a delay in April, the county can now build 100 shed-sized homes at Florin and Power Inn Roads. The temporary community will include on-site case management, meals, restrooms, and showers, all to help transition people to permanent housing. Supervisor Patrick Kennedy represents the area. And if we continue to put this off, we are going to pick up the newspaper this summer, and we are going to see
1: people dying on our streets, in a civilized country,
0: from heat. The tiny homes faced vocal opposition from members of a nearby church. Here is Lon Le Wong.
2: If you were putting five members unhoused in our community, this would not happen. We would not all be here. But you're putting 125 in a spot across the street from my church where my kids are.
0: Supervisors agreed to impose more stringent security measures to move it forward, but if this first-of-its-kind project in the county fails, they say the public likely won't support future ones. For The California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento.
1: Support for The California Report comes from Stanford HealthCare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area, Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference, stanfordbloodcenter.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hint, water with a touch of true fruit flavor. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food on the web at theschmidt.org.
2: And that's the California Report for Thursday, June 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
4: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book.